You're listening to the Beauty Brain Show, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Randy and Perry. Welcome to the 157th episode of the Beauty Brain Show. I'm Perry Romanowski, and I'm here with my partner, Randy Schuler. I think you have that backwards, Randy. I'm a little out of practice. It's been a while since we've done this. Jeez, it has been a while. We haven't done one all year. Well, well, if if only it were since January 1st. Well, but no, with with all your political fundraising in the fall, we just didn't really have time to record much. Yeah, it was boy. It was a it was a rough fall, I have to say, right? <laughs> all, all the way around. Yeah, but uh, but we are back. We are back answering questions. And we have some questions today about whether lotions with water are actually good for your skin or not. A question about whether air drying is bad for your hair, and if tomatoes are really good for the pores on your skin. Whoa! I know they're good for the noodles on my plate. <laughs> you just put <laughs> tomatoes on noodles. That's a dish. <laughs> Well, you know, you know my uh, my key to comedy, you know, tomatoes on the wall, or my theory of comedy, right? So that's what we're going to cover today. I don't know if we do we need to chit chat a little bit. Have you done anything uh, related to cosmetic science in the couple of months that we've been off that our listeners might uh, enjoy? Uh, yeah, no, uh, you know, you know what I like to do at the beginning of every year is like r- review my goals from the year before, sure. and I think in tw- 2016 I had I gave myself a uh, uh, an overall grade of a a C. <laughs> wow. Well done. Yeah, my 55 goals, I had uh, 11 A's mm-hmm. and then 12 F's. And, <laughs> and our audience will care about this. Why? <laughs> I know. They, they won't. <laughs> Look, you know, it's been a little while for this show. Yeah, actually, this is just a practice show. So <laughs> to say anything right. you want, it's fine. Do, uh, do we need any explanation for uh, why? I guess we already explained. Why we, we don't have to explain a damn thing to anybody. <laughs> that's you know, my that's, that's my stance. You know what we do have to do? We have to do some beauty science news. Why don't you cue the music, Randy? <laughs> All right, here we go. I'll take the first story, um, which is about the FDA limiting lead in cosmetics. Now, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> it's okay to have lead in your lipstick? <laughs> it's it's okay to have lead in your lipstick, and other questions about why the hell you haven't been podcasting for three months. Uh, yeah, obviously we've discussed this, this on the show before. That's the title of our, our last book, but it's time for a quick recap. So, uh, remember, lead is not a cosmetic ingredient that's added to a product for any reason. Rather, it's a contaminant that naturally occurs in the environment, and then it comes in in trace amounts with certain ingredients. And it's difficult, if not impossible, to remove all lead from any given product, depending, of course, of what ingredients you're using. But this hit the news pretty hard a couple of years ago, and I think there were two separate studies that showed many brands of lipstick, especially those with red colors, do contain lead. Right. And yeah, you, yeah and you remember the numbers, the amounts ranged from, you know, a, a couple of parts per million or less up to about nine parts per million, I think was about the highest on the list. Um, so the new news is that the FDA said that they want to limit the, oh, yeah, you want to make a comment there? No, no. Uh, well, what I, what I, what, what came out in those stories at that time, though, was the fact that the FDA does not limit lead, and anybody could put as much lead in their lipsticks as they want. Well, but again, lead isn't, it's not added, but the point is there were no Absolutely. limits, right? 
no absolutely that but that was the scare story right right? Uh, like the scare stories about that whole thing and that was put out by the the campaign for safe cosmetics and then they do the same thing with like halloween makeup but they they play up this lead and they make it seem like you know manufacturers are adding lead, right and and there's no limit to it right yeah (laughs) that's not the case at all so anyway, the new, new, new news is that the FDA says they want to limit the amount of lead in cosmetics to 10 parts per million. So what does that mean? Well, you know, the highest amount that was found in this lipstick study was about nine parts per million. So really, the, I mean, the FDA is just kind of saying, don't go any higher than you are right now. Right. They're, essentially, they're saying uh, you're fine. Right. So which, which makes sense because, you know, now there may be an exception in the case of very young children because they're the 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 exposure effects of lead are magnified. So for for either right. pregnant women or very small children, shouldn't be exposing them to anything that has even low levels of lead. But for adults, you know, there's there are small amounts of lead approved in drinking water and in certain types of types of candy. So yeah. you know, some exposure to lead is a fact of life. You want to limit it, of course. But it, there doesn't seem to be evidence that you're getting a lot from your cosmetics, even with this new limit from the FDA. Right. And and this, the scare stories that say, you know, there should be zero lead in lipstick. I mean, I, ideally, that's you'd, you'd want zero, but that's not reality. There's not zero. There's Lead is a naturally occurring uh, element, and y- you really can't get down to zero. Right. Very good. Okay. We'll, we'll see if those uh, those fear-mongering groups come out and say, okay, it's okay to have some lead <laughs> lipstick, but I doubt it. Hey, Randy, have you heard about this latest strategy for getting beauty products? What's that? It's it's called dumpster diving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw this uh, story in Marie Claire. Uh, it turns out some beauty bloggers and, and other motivated people, I suppose, are heading out to the dumpsters behind stores like Sephora or Ulta, and they're finding discarded beauty products. Huh. You know, these stores, you know, they probably have to throw away the old products and those testers that they have every so often sure. to make way for new stuff. And it turns out that some of the less than squeamish beauty aficionados are diving into those dumpsters to retrieve what they see as perfectly fine products. What could go wrong? Well, one one beauty vlogger posted a video in which she she went into the dumpster behind an Ulta, and she she pulled out all the stuff and then she laid it out in her YouTube video and she found nearly two thousand dollars <laughs> worth of product. Does that include and, the additional cost of the microbial contamination in the tester <laughs> sample she salvaged? Well, she says she does not um, use like any lipstick or anything that she might find. Okay. Yeah, probably a good idea. Sure. But things like perfumes and lotions and things, and actually Perf- there were some color cosmetics in there too. So. Perfumes probably the safest choice if you're gonna dumpster dive. I would think that would be fine. But some yeah, of the other stuff, yeah, uh, I'm not so sure. Now, since this video has over a million oh, views. Oh come on. <laughs> No doubt it will inspire some other people to go take the dive, right? Another interesting thing I saw in the story was that they quote this guy from New Jersey who has been reselling found makeup since the 1970s. (laughs) And he he claims that 100% of his income comes from beauty product dumpster diving. So, so you can imagine if you're buying something on like eBay or Craigslist, well... You know, sometimes a good deal might not actually be as good a deal as you want. That's kind of frightening. Would, does he disclose that in when he sells the stuff? I wonder. Oh, that that I that I did not see. It wasn't in the story, but 
I I would I don't know. <laughs> you might use like slightly used or something, right? Well, didn't we we talked about a company that's um what were they they were buying used what was it? Yeah, it was used a, samples it or was something? A, I forget the details. But. Yeah, it was a makeup reseller. Yeah, mm. it was the same. So so some of those samples might have been <laughs> dumpster dive. It's just right? the thought of what else could be in that dumpster is what I think turns my stomach a little bit. But anyway. Well, well you know, you, you might be wondering whether this is safe, right? And I guess it really depends on the product. Well, it depends on the product. It depends on how it was disposed. If it was sealed up in a plastic bag in a sealed container, maybe. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I just think of those... Uh, Remember all that shampoo and conditioner that our QA people would, they would take a sample, they would test it, open it up, test it, and then they would just essentially throw away that product. Right, right. Like, that probably would have been perfectly fine. So if, I, I imagine if, if Ulta had like, I don't know, they, they had 20 lotions that were like two years old and they're like, oh, we got to get rid of it. They just throw it in the dumpster. I mean, it's going to be old product. It's probably going to smell funny and, you know, the color might be different, but... Uh, not that we're recommending using dumpster dive stuff. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you know, Randy, I forget how squeamish you are about dumpsters <laughs> and garbage. This is a man who will not even eat leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a long story. All right, let me move on. You know, my, uh, my first comment was about lead, a contaminant that you don't want in your products, but it is there. So here's a story sure. about an ingredient that you do want in your products, but it seems to have gone missing. Oh, sort of the opposite, yeah. <laughs> oh, you got that. Very good. Uh, yeah, Bloomberg News reported that some private label brands of aloe vera skincare lotions that are sold by Walmart, Target, and CVS didn't actually contain any aloe vera. <laughs> so wow. Bloomberg uh, commissioned a lab to test samples of these products, and lo and behold, they couldn't find any trace of aloe, which makes me think Bloomberg has got a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> no well, how do you get the idea for this research project? Um, now, if you go back to episode 156, numerically just one show ago, but time-wise, it was last year. Um, I, I mean, you'll find out why this is kind of much ado about nothing, because except in a few rare cases, aloe doesn't really do anything in your skin lotion anyway. Um, sure. So if you're missing it, you're not missing much. But no one likes to be deceived, and certainly companies should be held responsible for deceptive advertising. So... If they're selling you an aloe lotion, you should expect to find aloe in it. Um, unless it's just aloe scented, which we'll get to in a second. Um, yeah. But, but here's the piece that makes no sense to me. You know, it's very common in the beauty industry uh, to sell a product with a featured ingredient, in this case aloe, uh, and, and have that product only contain a very small amount of aloe, or maybe only just have an aloe fragrance in it. Um, right. There's no law about how much you have to put in your product, so you can put the in. The only law is the only law is that you have to put right, it in. Right, exactly. But you can use a microscopic amount, uh, and you can call your product an aloe lotion, regardless of how much aloe is in there. You're done. That's perfectly legal. So why would any company risk a lawsuit and even action by the government and consumer backlash? Why would you risk all that by lying on your label and saying when it contains aloe when it doesn't? You're not really saving any time or any measurable amount of money. It just it makes no sense. Right. Well, I I would say this though. How did they detect whether there was aloe? Well, in there or not, that, right? that's a that's a good point, and I, I should mention that the, they used a test method that looked at markers of some of the sugars that are in aloe. Um, I think mannose was one of them, if I remember correctly. But this test is a bit controversial. It's not 100% accurate, so it's possible that the results are just a fluke. 
Uh, I know that Bloomberg is renowned for their scientific testing of cosmetic lotions, but just maybe in this one case, they're off base. Well, I, I suspect that's more the, the the case than them just not putting it in. I, I agree. I mean, I agree. Although, you know, it's not surprising to me that there's, there's such a small amount that maybe uh, an analytical test missed it. Hey, know? we can pick up two parts per million of lead. Do you think we should find some aloe in these products? Yeah, that's a that's a tough marker to pick. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, Randy, do you take a lot of selfies? Constantly. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Right? Actually, I do. In in fact, I've taken a selfie every single day for at least the last five years. This is not- me not being surprised at all. <laughs> all right. Now I'm not sure why I do this, but I started the practice of taking a photo of myself after every time I run. Okay. And since I run every day. Well, as long as, I mean, today, in the summer. No, 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 every day outside. Okay. Today is actually day uh, 2,982, <laughs> if, you, if anyone's keeping track. <laughs> so I have, I have, I take a selfie right every day. Sure. Now, I, I, you know, I started doing that. I saw a guy who, uh, like, walked through China, and he took a selfie every day on his trip, and he did this, like, flip grand. Sure, I've seen, yeah, I've seen those, yeah. So maybe I'll do that someday, but I just sort of have it up. So anyway, I didn't think much of it, but it turns out I'm not the only one who does this. And it also turns out that the practice may be responsible for increasing my level of happiness. So according... <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, true story. And so you you beauty, you beauty brain fans out there might want to start taking selfies yourself if you believe this uh, research. <laughs> According to a study published by researchers at the University of California, Irvine, they tested 41 students who were instructed to take selfies for four weeks. You know, Now, they also had to share those selfies with other people, so the sharing is another part mm-hmm. of it. And then they reported their moods over that time. <laughs> this is really top-notch right. research. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, the researchers found that this group of people were happier and more confident over the course of the study. <laughs> so just that act of smiling and taking their own photo made people feel better. I would feel better if we had inserted electrodes into their brain for the course of the testing. But OK, <laughs> mood, self-mood reporting, OK. Yeah, right. Now, I had to dig a little deeper because the, the newspaper report on the study was pretty weak and it left open some questions. So like I wondered, like, does it have to be selfies, or could you just take a picture, or, you know, what's their control? Sure, purpose, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, nothing. So, well, it turns out there actually were three groups. Oh, so okay. one one of the one part of the group took selfies, mm-hmm. daily selfies. Another uh, part of the group took pictures that they thought would make them happy. So it could be anything, so landscapes? Just whatever. not of their self, okay. but of, yeah, exactly. And then a third group took pictures of things that they thought would make other people happy. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> and it turns out that only the selfie takers uh, had feelings of being more confident and comfortable. Well, how, how, so, but how did the group with the nude selfies do? How did... <laughs> there, there, there was no report of nudity in there. <laughs> so I think what we learned from this story, the bottom line of this research, if, if it's to believe, but, you know, this kind of research is... Right, we know how you feel about this. A good strategy for you to become more happy and more beautiful... Run every day, and then at the end, take a selfie. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember running being mentioned in the story, but I guess that's just your own anecdotal data. Exactly. Thank you for that uh, narcissistic update. 
All right. Hey, I'm just trying to be as narcissistic as our political leaders. <laughs> oh, don't go there. All right. Hey, uh, we should probably move on to our cosmetic questions before we run, oh. run out of time here today. So uh, let me kick off the first one. This one comes to us from Veronica. Hello, um, my name is Veronica and well, first of all, I like your program very much. Uh, it is very informative and very funny. And my question is about the use of lotions and creams that have water in them. Uh, I heard that it is not good to apply anything with water on your skin because uh, this water is going to remove from your skin when it evaporates it is going to take with it the skin the natural skin oils that you have and um, it is not going to help to keep your your skin uh, hydrated in fact it's gonna be you know up instead of helping it's not going to help so I wanted to know if that is true and if we should just only be applying uh, oils and things that have uh, no water in, in it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Veronica, for that question. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting twist on a theme that we have discussed on the program a couple of times before, and that is about how moisturizers work. Well, there are two fundamental ways that lotions can moisturize your skin. One is to provide an occlusive barrier that prevents the moisture that's already there uh, from evaporating, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what ingredients like petrolata, mineral oil, and some of the silicones, and, and those, that's what those things do. And the technical term for that is you're reducing your TUL, or transepidermal water loss. Very good, T-E-W-L. Um, the second way lotions work is to attract moisture to, to your skin using an ingredient that has an affinity for water. Uh, so we call these ingredients humectants, and they're things like glycerin, sorbitol, hyaluronic acid can bind high levels of water. So they essentially lock the water into the, you know, contact with the surface yeah. of your skin. They're like water magnets, yeah, right? <laughs> now the best skin moisturizers are going to use both mechanisms to moisturize the skin. And the best way to do that is through an emulsion that uses a combination of both oil and water. Right, so the, the oil-soluble ingredients, like you, you mentioned petrolatum, that's one of, if not the, the, the best. But that by itself doesn't really make a o good overall skin moisturizer because it's very hard eh. to spread. Sticky. Sti right, yeah. so you, you even though it's the most effective at, at blocking in the moisture, it, it doesn't have the aesthetic properties. But when we found that when we mix these materials with water and using surfactants to make those, that mixture into a, a cream or a lotion, then we get the benefits of the water-soluble ingredients and the oil-soluble ingredients, to oil -soluble ingredients together. And we also get something that spreads across the skin and leaves it feeling much less sticky and greasy. Yeah. I mean, you actually, you don't really, for, function, for functional reasons, you don't really need all those extra ingredients. I mean, you know, you can just take a glob of petrol right, and put it yeah, on your it's, skin. It'll moisturize really well, but it won't make it'll a good product. Great. Exactly. Now, this does bring us back to her question about the water contained in the lotion, right? What does that do? Now, there's enough water in the lotion or cream to give, it'll give your skin a little quick moisture boost, right? Which the oils and other occlusive agents can then lock in your skin. 
Now, we should be clear that most of the moisturizing effect is going to come from preventing the loss of the water that's already in your skin. But it doesn't hurt to add that extra little topical boost, right? Especially in the winter when your skin is like, Crusty yeah, and for, dry. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of that extra water that, that comes in from the product will be absorbed by your skin. Now, some of it's just going to evaporate, but right. but that process of evaporation that's not going to cause any harm to your skin. Um, you know, it's 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 not going to cause any loss of the skin's natural moisturizing capacity in any way. So, what Veronica has heard about lotions uh, containing water being bad for your skin—that's just a myth. But I I think I can see where this myth may have gotten its start. Yeah, it, it could have come from the fact that soaking your skin in water really isn't good for it, right? right. I mean, that's going to swell the skin cells, and it does leach out some of the more water-solubilizing, moisturizing components like urea or sodium PCA. But that only happens when your skin is submerged in water for a long time, like when you're swimming or something. Yeah, or, you know, like whenever I give you a bubble bath and your fingers and toes <laughs> get all pruny. It's, it's the same thing. Hey, you're, you're cutting that out of the show, right? <laughs> Not a chance. Uh, so I could see some clever marketer taking this little half-truth and then saying that skincare products that contain water are bad for skin. So and so that way they can sell you their special oil-based product <laughs> that doesn't contain any water, right. right? But it just doesn't work that way. So Veronica, there's nothing to worry about uh, from using skin lotions that also contain water. Yeah, it's so interesting when you when you do find these myths. That how many times at the core of them is somebody selling a product to solve the problem they've just created for you, yeah. uh, and not necessarily yeah. always really works that way. All right, uh, we've got another question. Uh, Perry, you want to take this one? Sure. Danny D in our forum wait, says. Wait, 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 wait. We have a forum. We do have a forum, a beauty forum. You go to beautybrains.com slash bbforum, oh. and you can uh, go there and chat about beauty products, ask questions. Name, yeah. Named after the droid in the last Star Wars movie, I believe. <laughs> Actually, that droid was named after our forum. Even better. <laughs> so this question comes from our forum. I recently came across this article claiming that air drying is actually bad for your hair. The reason? When hair comes into contact with water, it swells, which damages the protein. The longer your hair is wet, the longer it swells, and the greater the chance for damage. Is this true? I also wonder if all the extra tugging from brushing during blow drying could add additional damage as well. Oh, great, great question, Danny. And we wrote about this uh, several years ago. I think this was one of the posts that were lost when our server crashed in uh, 2012 or 2000, whatever that was. 2014. No, it was 12 yeah, or 13, but anyway. Um, oh. So we, whatever we wrote on this has been lost. Um, I, I don't think we ever talked about it on the show. I'm not sure. But yes, there, um, there is data showing that air drying your hair does cause some damage. And that mechanism is pretty much exactly as she explained it. Yeah, that swelling and shrinking process that she described, that's actually called high-growth fatigue. <laughs> that's always been one of my favorite terms. I don't know why. I just love the, the ring <laughs> yeah. of that. But um yeah, and I mean, that's every time you wash and dry your hair or just get it wet and dry it, you go through the, that cycle of hygral fatigue. Um, but the study that we found didn't compare the damage from wetting and drying to the damage caused by blow drying. So, we, you know, we don't have any data to say which is worse. Now, if I had to choose, I would guess that blow drying is more damaging for three reasons. Yeah. First, you still get some fiber swelling, whether you 
blow dry it or you're air drying, right? Yeah, the, the speed at which it's wetted and dried and the time it's wet may be different. And I think that's what, the, if I remember now, I think that's what the study attributed the problem to, that the hair remained longer, remained wet longer during air drying, and that was causing mm -hmm. some of the problem. But anyway, either way, you yeah. are having some of that fiber swelling. Um, secondly, the additional heat from blow drying, that can be damaging all by itself, regardless of the hydro fatigue. Yeah. I remember seeing those uh, photos of the hair really up close and you could see all the damage that just heat does. Right. And then the third thing is the tugging that she described really does cause additional damage. Yeah, the, the, if you're trying to pull a brush through your hair, you know, wet or dry, that's, that's going to cause some damage just from friction. So, I, I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting. It's kind of counterintuitive that air drying causes any damage at all. You'd think it would be perfectly fine, but it looks like it's... It's not without its side effects, but it's probably still better than blow drying. Yeah, I, that would be my guess too. But you know what doesn't blow? What's that? <laughs> the fans who review us on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. We love getting reviews on iTunes. We have actually had, even though we've been off the air for a while, we have gotten a ton of reviews. So let's just, oh. let's, if we can just do a couple of quick ones today, because, you know, our promise to our listeners is if you, re, you know, review us on iTunes, we'll give you a quick shout out on the show. So a couple of quick ones today. Here's one from Breeze, Breathe Easy for Once, who says, great fun for this med student. Five stars. I appreciate their easy rapport, nerdball humor, and the <laughs> science. This podcast makes you a better consumer, science nerd, and human being. Okay, that last one may be a bit of a stretch, but not by much. The world needs good podcasts like this to balance out the many shows about housewives of the rich and brainless. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. That's Thanks excellent. for that. Well, Cool Maven also gave us a five-star rating. I realized that I have never before heard two highly intelligent men bicker, <laughs> and it's very amusing. <laughs> I'm a podcast freak and am very selective about those that I actually subscribe to, and they easily made that cut. Thank you, Beauty Brains. You rock. And next up, Liz says, The Beauty Brains helps you see through marketing claims and pseudoscience to make informed decisions and often save you money. Some may not like the banter at the beginning, <laughs> but I often laugh and enjoy it. Thank you, Liz. Ah, more, more points for the banter. <laughs> and finally, we have Looked, who says, this is a great podcast to debunk a lot of beauty science myth and get to the truth of what's in your bathroom. Really big fan, though they tend to digress. <laughs> they have a teensy blind spot about natural ingredients slash ethnic care, so I'd take their advice there with a pinch of salt. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know about that, but thank you for that look. Um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so please, please review us on iTunes. Uh, we've been, it, it surprised me that even though we were off the air, we've been at least a couple of times the number one podcast on the fashion and beauty sub-segment of iTunes. So Yeah, people keep finding us. So yeah, so if you guys good. can keep reviewing us, that's it's really, really helpful. We appreciate it. All right, Perry. And and uh, and tell your friends to, to <laughs> listen. Friends. I mean, and, so, you know, more people are listening to podcasts these days, and you know. So just to paraphrase, then your recommendation is to take a nude selfie of, and send it to your friends and tell them about our show. Got it. After running. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Perry. We got time for one more question. This one uh, comes to us from Renee, who says, "According to EasyHacker.com, rubbing tomatoes on your face is a good way to shrink your pores. Is that true?" Well, Renee, they couldn't say it on the internet if it wasn't true. Any more questions that we have today, Perry? 
<laughs> wait a second, wait a second. You know, maybe we should take a look and see exactly what Easy Hacker has to say about tomatoes on your face, right? All right. Okay, according to the video on their website, tomatoes are rich in vitamin C and acids, both of which are effective at reducing the appearance of pore size. Well, as is usually the case, uh, there is a kernel of truth to this. Um, in the video that, that's on the website, the author mentions that the acid in tomatoes is salicylic acid. And sal acid is a keratolytic agent, which means it can loosen dead skin cells. And that's one way sure. to keep pores clear of, of debris and keep them from appearing larger. So yes, sal acid is good for minimizing pores, but the key question, do tomatoes contain enough of it to do any good? Well, Randy, I did a little math and it turns out <laughs> tomatoes contain about one milligram of sal acid per 100 grams, which is about 0.01%. Um, salicylic acid products that are effective against acne need to contain about 3% sal acid. <laughs> so tomatoes are about 300 times weaker than a product that you can buy over the counter. So I really can't see how that small amount of sal acid would have much effect, at, at least on the acne portion of it. Right, right. right. Um, well, it's the same mechanism used to clear out the pores, so I don't know, maybe a sure. little less is effective, but still that's a, that's a big delta there. Um, you, you know, you can do the same kind of calculation for vitamin C. Containers, tomatoes contain about 23 milligrams of ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C, per 100 grams of the fresh fruit. So that's about 0.23%. And we know from previous research that the most effective level of vitamin C in a skincare product is somewhere between, you know, 15 and 20%. So, right, you know, right. that's, that's 100 times too low. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's just unlikely it's going to do much. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is tomatoes do contain natural chemicals. We see we have no bias there right. <laughs> that can help clean your pores. However, they contain far less than products that are optimized for this purpose. So I'm not sure you're going to see much effect, if any. Yeah, And that's why people say we have a blind spot for natural products. <laughs> right. Well, we were, just, we're skeptical. We, we know what I... If there were if there were natural ingredients that really had some demonstrable effect, I, I embrace them. I say bring it on. Well, I just but, don't want to delude myself. Yeah, it, again, it's not even whether the natural ingredients are effective. In this case, clearly they are. Both um, yeah. vitamin C and salicylic acid can be sourced naturally. So if you can purify them and concentrate them and use them at the right levels, they're perfectly effective. But if you're just picking the fruit off the vine and using it, there's not going to be enough there to have the same kind of effect. So Big beauty wins. <laughs> All beauty wins, right? <laughs> uh, Speaking of beauty, uh, if you had questions that we didn't answer today or in a previous podcast, feel free to send them to us. You can send us just an email at thebeautybrains at gmail.com or post it on our forum or go to iTunes, leave a review and put a little question there. We also take that. Absolutely. You can, or you can visit our Facebook page. You can call page. Randy you up. Can, or, no, yeah, don't call, call Randy no, up. Uh, don't call. Uh, want to give him the phone number? No, 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 no. You can't call me up, but you can go to our Facebook page. You can tweet us at the, what is our Twitter, Twitter handle? At the Beauty Brains? It's the Beauty, the Brains, Beauty Brains. Yeah. But you have to have the app Don't you ever follow Twitter? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I don't do much on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Perry, we are out of time. Uh, even though we uh, have been away from this for a little while, we still managed to hit our 30-minute show. So let's... Oh, well, well, that's good. So until the next show, which will be sometime. <laughs> <laughs>
sometime to be determined. Uh, we we have our fel- our same old farewell to our listeners, which is be brainy about your beauty. Thanks. Everybody. Thanks, everybody. I don't like tomatoes, and I don't think they like me.